You may be seated. We've been on this journey of generosity. We have been looking at the scripture and receiving what the Lord is saying to us and what must happen now. Most of the time when you say generosity, for those of you that are able to join us for the first time today, we're not talking about, or we're talking about more, much more than money. That generosity is part of what God desires in your life. The passage of scripture that she read has been the, has been the text that we've worked from for the last two or three weeks. I want to conclude this portion today and I want you to, to visit it again in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. In fact, we actually went backwards in covering each point. We started in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus called the 12 he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. We talked about this, this the Lord sending his 72. For we see in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. He gave them the same command that he gave his 12 disciples in Luke chapter 9 in the first two or three verses. You see the Lord sending out this group of people because he's giving them purpose and mission. And I want to tell you, your life doesn't get on board until you get a hold of God's purpose and mission for your life. God is ready to answer prayer. And that prayer will be answered when we embrace God's purpose and mission for our life. Check this out. When the Lord Jesus was with his disciples, verse 49 Chapter nine, chapter 9 of Luke, verse 49. And check this out. Master, John said, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. Jesus said, don't stop him. In other words, leave him alone, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent his messengers ahead who went to Samaria, who went to, into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the, people where, but the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on them and destroy them? <laughs> but Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus replied. Jesus replied, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the fish have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. Look at your neighbor and said, get rid of your first, amen. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said something powerful. He said, no one who has his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. My Lord. One of the strangest parts of scripture I used to think until I begin to look a little closer and until I begin to see 
that God is after something from us. He, he desires this to be a part of our life. Mm. And so we started talking about generosity in service. That is God calling us to serve other people. You have to have a big heart, a generous heart to serve other people. And many of, you, many of us remembered that, that any authority you have, any influence you have is because you serve. And I've said in the past, you, you get paid according to the size of the problems you uh, solve. In fact, when you solve a big problem that answers a big question for people, you get bigger money. Maybe some of you aren't making the money you want to make because you may not be serving and solving a problem that's big enough. Lord, have mercy. I don't know if you thought about that. But if you, but if you have a job or a career that's basically, basically centered around you or what you do and can get, you probably, your receipt will probably be much smaller. But the moment you step into a position that serves other people and solves their problem, your money automatically gets bigger. That's one reason why, well, this week, uh, Tiffany was in the, in the, this week, this past week, she was, she was in surgery. And surgeons get paid more money than nurses do. Nothing, I'm not talking, none is better than the other. It's just that they have a different problem-solving level. A nurse solves comfort problems, medicine problems, you know, maintenance problems. A doctor, a surgeon solves the, the immediate huge problem that can take your life. Takes long more training, takes more skill, more concentration. And when you solve that problem, by the way, the highest paid medical in the medical field, brain surgeons are the highest paid because they solve, come on, a bigger problem. Tiffany had three doctors. And the third one who we met through FaceTime, uh, he, he wasn't a surgeon. He, he is a, a doctor that deals with internal medicine. And he... he he majors on the liver and, and the gallbladder. And he, he, it's, it's amazing to hear him talk. He talked with such confidence, you know. He said, no, this is not right. That's not right. That's not right. She used to stay another two or three days. Because until I see that go down, I'm not going to take a chance with her liver. I want, you to, I want that's got to get right. And then he said, let's give God a day to change things around. Man, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. But see, he's paid more because he's solving. Come on. He's solving. Uh, Jesus said, I need you to be generous in your service. Because what he really is saying, I'm sending you out to serve people, to add value to people. You know, when you are able to add value to the lives of other people, your rewards are much greater than you trying to etch out a perfect life for yourself. I like to suggest that the body of Christ in America has been suffering with this very thing. What am I going to get? When am I going to get an answer? When, when, when's God going to come through for me? The body of Christ has been not only suffering, but separated, thinking I can go it alone. I can do it by myself. I don't need this and I don't need that. But I'd like to suggest that the change that God is bringing right now is a church that not only loves him but serves others and serves one another. When you take the focus off of what you can get and you put the emphasis on what you can give and supply to other people. In fact, did you know your increase, the increase in your life is based on how much you serve or give out. Look at your neighbors and my income from heaven is based on my outgo, how much I'm giving away. It's true, really true. How, what you give, what you give, you get back. Oh, by the way, sweetheart, I did remember your ring this morning. I got it off the, the bathroom sink, and I thought I would make this a good time. Would you marry me, baby? Would you marry me again? I really would love that. But, you know, it would, it, would be, it would do me the greatest honor if you would, um, if, if you would, um, if you would marry me, let's make it a 50 years. You got this picture? I, don't, I can't believe y'all ain't got this picture. You know, 
Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's something needed. Are you coming up here to help me up? Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, she said yes. She said yes. Oh, she didn't say. Yes, with all that is within me, it's my pleasure to say yes. He's still working. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay. That's my coach right there. He's working me out, getting me better. It's amazing what, what you do for other people. It, look, in, in marriage, it works the same way. How you serve your partner is, is, is going to determine the quality of your relationship. This whole issue of service is a big deal. It impacts all of your life. Parents, how you serve your children will make all the difference in the world of what they do and what they become and how they treat you when you need to be treated with their help. Jesus understood this whole thing about service. So instead of just saving us, he sends us. Okay, come on, preach for me this morning. Look at your neighbor. He said, you've not only been saved, but you've also been sent. Amen. Amen. And amen. And when you are sent, this grace, this generosity of service shows up in your life. People who serve other people are the people who are served what they need the most. It is the way it works, but everything in our upbringing is opposite. Everything in our families, usually the environment we brought in is something different. But only when you are able to serve somebody else does God, does, does God do a miraculous thing and turns around and you receive what you need? I don't know why it's so quiet right now, but maybe, maybe because you need to do that. Maybe you haven't found a way to do that. Hang around. I will show you how the Lord will give you pathways to serve other people. Generosity of service. But people, it's hard to serve other folks. It's really hard to serve other people if you've not had the generosity of discipleship. This generosity of discipleship was the next thing Jesus talked about. Because remember, he, uh, those two persons said, Lord, I will follow you. Disciple is a person who follows and learns of Jesus. He says, uh, Lord, Lord, I follow you. I follow you wherever you go. And the Lord said, really? Generosity of service is one thing. Generosity of discipleship, that's something else. In fact, I'd like to suggest this morning, it's hard to be a great servant if you're not a disciple. What did, he, what did Jesus mean? Foxes have holes and you know, birds have nests and the son of man has no place to lay his head. You really going to follow me? He seems gung-ho, but, but Jesus says, whoa. Because the Lord knows the heart. The rich young ruler said, you know, Lord, what, what must I do? What, what must I do to have eternal life? The Lord said, what about the commandments? He said, I've done all that. I've done everything. I've done, I'm, I'm, I'm very religious. I do all the things according to what's written in the book. This is the way some people are. You know, we have our own code. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't run with those that do. I'm sorry when I say we don't smoke, we don't chew. That's another generation because the generation I grew up in is a generation that used to chew tobacco. I'm so sorry that none of you know what I think what I'm talking about. I wish I had an illustration. So you had tobacco, you got this tobacco, you put in the real container, and you hey, 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 what's up? Yeah, yeah. And then you got it, it, it builds your saliva up and you, you got a spit. And then how you have a spit can in the in, and it was a kind of a way that you got the high out of the you got the high out of the out of the tobacco leaves. I'm so sorry that none of you know this culture. But I don't know if you know this, but in, in your great-grandparents, this was part of the deal. And we knew you got saved when you quit chewing tobacco. People were so bad with chewing tobacco until they would catch cancer in the mouth. Chewing tobacco was so bad that they would, their, their teeth would be black. Y'all ain't hearing me. 
anyway, so when, we, when the, the phrase came, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't run with those that do, that was kind of like when you got saved, you quit smoking, you quit chewing, you quit screwing. I'm sorry, yeah. And, 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 and you, you know, you reshape, your, your life was shaped up. Unfortunately, this man said, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, he said, the young man said, what more do I lack? And the Lord said, in fact, here's what the scripture said. And the Lord loved him and said to, and had compassion on him. Oh, this is so awesome to me. Because you see the Lord's generosity of discipleship coming out. He had compassion on the man. And he said, I'll tell you what, take all you... Take all the riches you have, sell it, give it to the poor, then come and what? Then follow me. And the Lord put stipulations on what it means to be his disciple. The Bible says the man went away sad because he had great riches. He had that but, or he had that first let me. And Jesus is saying to those who said, well, I'll serve you. you know, I'm going to love God and serve God, but I, I, I want to get this done. I told you last week, this was, this was a serious prayer. When we came to the Lord, when we were young in our 20s, we would say, you know, we, we don't want Jesus to come back yet. People were preaching the rapture. People, man, they had rapture movies. They had the movies when, you know, when, you, know you be in bed and, and you wake up and your partner and, and, and the clothes be laying there and the bodies be gone. Y'all never saw any of those movies? Man, that was, it was scaring us into the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, uh, and, and we used to pray the prayer, oh, Jesus, don't come quick. Don't come now because we haven't had enough sex yet, Lord. Please don't come. And you laugh, but it's the truth. And we, some of the ladies were praying, Lord, don't come yet because I'm not married. Don't come yet. Because, you see, Jesus looks at the young man, at the young ruler, and he says, if you want to follow me, take what you have. What's important to you, take your first and make that last or make that even second. Because if you follow me, the cost of that is everything. In other words, you can't be my disciple unless I have first place. I think the gospel that we've been preaching has been so accommodating to people that it, it, it sounds like, well, Jesus is desperate for you. No, he's not desperate for you. He does love you, but he's not his, his well-being is not based on your saying yes to him. And he's willing to walk by the person who says no. He's willing to let people turn around and walk away from him. Discipleship is costly. And it means it costs you. Because it already cost him. Discipleship to follow Christ means that nothing else in my life has the preeminence above him. In fact, nothing in my life is equal to him. Following him means everything. My life, my career, my possessions, my children, my husband, my wife. The man said, well, Lord, did I follow you? But I'm going to follow you, but I, first I got to go bury my, I got to go bury my family. He said, then Jesus said, let the dead, come on, talk to me. Let the, do what? You know, the Lord is not saying what it appears to be on the surface because if you're dead, you can't bury nobody, right? So when he says, let the dead bury the dead, when, when, when he is not first, then we are spiritually dead to what God wants to do. When, you are, when he does not have the first place in your life, there are all kinds of things that you don't, you don't get to partake in. You don't see or you don't understand. Jesus knows what it takes to follow him. And one of the things that's preeminent is all things that are important to you become secondary and he becomes preeminent in your life. He said, okay, okay, okay. I was messed up the first time you said, you know, generosity of service because I don't want to serve nobody because uh, Negroes and flies I do despise and so on and so forth, right? I don't, I'm not really into people. There are people who grow up not that way. Not, they're not that into people. So I ain't, I ain't serving nobody. But you, so you already messed me up, Bishop, with the first one. And now you come with the second stipulation, talking about generosity of, of discipleship. You want me to put things second? And I worked all my 
my life to get to the top of, the, of my realm, of, uh, top of the ladder in my field? And you, you're telling me Jesus said, put that secondary to him? Yeah. Because nothing in your life takes on the meaning that it's supposed to until he who is the meaning above all is the first. So Jesus, uh, you know, he's kind of hard on them brothers and sisters. He said, you know, uh, let the dead bury the dead. You sure you want to follow me? Might cost you something. Might not be easy. And all we doing is coming to church. Like that's so difficult. Oh my God, oh my God. It was through the rain, through the wind, through the snow, through the cold, through the traffic on Sunday. I had to get up out of my bed and get dressed and get into my automobile. I had to put gas in my automobile to drive myself to church. Oh my God, what a sacrifice. Ain't that a trip? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you what the real deal is. Anything in your life that you think is important is secondary to what I'm doing and to where I am. I got some texts on my phone today. A brother, I was texting him this week. I said, you know, about, about being with us. And he said, man, I'm, just, I'm so depressed. Brother said, I'm so depressed. That's what he said. I got it on my phone. I got it. just read it. He, I'm so depressed. I've never been down like this a day in my life. I am so down and so on and so forth. I texted him back. I said, well, I said, it's in the presence of God and the presence of his people that you can get up. One brother texted me this morning. He said, well, I would be here, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I, your son, he called me his son. He said, your son, you might be watching live streaming, so I'm talking to you. Your son is sick today. I said, come here. I'll pray for you. Is that kind of, is that ugly? Is that ugly? I mean, really, I, I pray for him. No, I don't catch the flu. Tell your mother, he don't catch the flu, brother, he don't catch the flu, he don't, tell you, he don't catch the flu. People who need help, people who suffer with things in their life, second place, Jesus, you know what? He doesn't deserve second place in your life. Tell your neighbor, he deserves a preeminence in your life. He deserves first place. Talk about, talk about, talk about sacrifice. We, then we get to this third, this third level of generosity of services, number one. Who are you serving? Hard to serve when you're not a disciple. Well, if you think those two are tough, let me give you the third one. And this, is the, this, is a gen, this is the generosity of costly grace. Let me explain what I mean. This third thing is, is amazing to me. In this passage... Right, what I just read, Luke, for Luke nine, he says this, and I, I I love it when he when he when he he's so graphic in giving us the details. Now they're on their way with his disciples back to Jerusalem, and they see somebody casting out demons, and um, the Lord's disciple. Oh, the Lord's disciple says, Lord, uh. I saw somebody preaching. I saw, and he wasn't with them. He said, I saw somebody driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus said, don't stop him if he's, what does he say? What does he say? If he's what? If he's not against us, what is he saying? He's for us. It's amazing how we want everything, we want to get the credit for everything, right? because we don't understand who we're serving. So, can you see this? It, you will in a minute. You'll get there. If you're joining us on live streaming, I've got three or four reams of paper. Can you see that? It's paper. One, two, three, four, and the fifth one is opened. Are you there? So, to understand, to understand who you're serving, 
to understand who it is that says, follow me. To understand why he would say, I, I, want you to, I want your heart to be open to serve other people. And I want you to be a disciple, a learner. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. Have you ever, has anyone ever seen, do I have any space movie? Do I have any, any, any I think we call it science fiction. Any science fiction buffs? Oh my gosh, where are you? On the back. Are you, a, Kenny, are you a science fiction buff? Seriously. Man, you know what? When Lost in Space first came out, it was a trip. I think I was in junior high school. Danger! Danger, Will Robinson. I'm sorry, some of you don't understand that. It's all right. I, I, I was just, I, and when um, uh, the Twilight Zone came out, man, and, and you know, they used to have a, a deal for the Twilight Zone. And they would show the stars and the universe, you know. It was amazing. And all those old science fiction movies, Doctor, Doctor Who and, and, um, and Flash Gordon and uh, name me some more. Oh, there it is, Star Trek. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Who? Battleship Galactica. It, it, I used to run home, be sure I got home in time to see that. Yeah, it, I, I'm, I, check this out. Well, I think one reason why a lot of us love, a lot of us love the movie, uh, this whole issue of the, of the universe is, is because there's something in us that is eternal and something that, that longs to understand. One teacher was trying to teach her students in vacation Bible school. And, and uh, vacation Bible school was like a summer camp. And so this teacher would always try to help her students understand who is calling them to serve and who is calling them to be generous and calling them to be a disciple. I asked the question. She was trying to answer the question. How big is big? Check this out. How big is big? If you took the distance between the earth and the sun, the earth and the sun, they say it is 92 million miles. Tell your brother. Tell you, rehearse it so you can use this later on when you're trying to help somebody. 92 million miles. So if, if you take 92 million miles, I, it's hard for me to even get my head around that because I have a problem, you know, thinking 20,000 miles. I, I, I have a, I, how, how long is that, you know? If you have to drive from here to California, usually if you drive sanely, it take you three days. You know, just driving 67, 80, 90 miles an hour. But <laughs> how big is big? Beloved, uh, if you took 92 million miles that's what, it, that's what it takes to get from the earth to the sun. So if you took that and you took 92 million miles and for the sake of understanding, you took and turned that 92, mile, 92 million miles into the thinness of a piece of paper. So from the sun to the earth, not, this represents 92 million miles. Have you got that? You got that in your mind? You have a brain that can actually think about that. Not 92 million miles. Check this out. If you took that, if you took that 92 million miles, it says, and, and, and you turned it into the thickness of a sheet of paper, do you know how big the universe is? Do you know how big it is? Check this out. If that was the case, do you know the distance between the earth and the nearest star is a stack of paper 70 feet high. A stack of this, 70 feet high. At the top of the ceiling here from the floor is about 40 feet. Are you breathing? So it's not, that's, that's not as high as 70 feet. But if you took 70 feet high, those papers stacked up, that's how far it is to get it in your mind, the distance between the earth and the nearest star. Mm. Now the distance from the earth to the end of the Milky Way or galaxy would be a stack of paper 
310 miles high. If you think that's big, hmm, my God. The Milky Way is practically a speck of dust in the universe because there are so many. And the Bible says Jesus Christ holds it all together with the power of his word. Do you think this is the kind of person that you would uh, ask into your life to be your assistant? You think, you think somebody who's that awesome, if the heavens and the earth were created by him and all things are held together by him, do you think that's the kind of person that you would say, well, you know, um, uh, I, I'm thinking about hiring you, you know. Uh, you know, I'm weighing you against all the other candidates for you to be a part of my business. You think this is the kind of person that, that you would say, um, well, I, somebody says, I want to introduce you to <laughs> the, maker and, uh, the maker and the sustainer of the galaxies. And, and, and you say, well, uh, I got three or four other appointments before I can talk to him. Do you, do you, no, do you understand, saints, that when we talk about God Almighty, we're not talking about, we're not talking about somebody like you. If you understand that, then we can rethink it. Do you say to that kind of person, you know, I, I'd be happy to have a relationship with you, uh, uh, it, only if you do these three things. Are you going to put stipulations on God to have a relationship with somebody like that? For most people, they, they think about God as something over there only when I'm in trouble. No, God, God is a sustainer of the universe. Not only that, he's a sustainer of your own personal universe. Let me, get, let me be specific. Your whole body is like a universe when you start breaking down the atoms and the molecules and the proteins. Your whole body is, is an amazing construct. We got a little bit of it this week, this past week, when we had to look at the gallbladder of my daughter that had gone awry and, and what gallstone, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And, and, and you, you think, do you think that the person who's saying to you, follow me, is, you think he's like you? When the Lord says, be my, I want you to be my disciple, you know, the best thing you can do is get on your hands and knees or on your face and say, Lord, what do you want? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to serve? What do you want me to be a part of, Lord? The gospel is that the sustainer of the universe is calling you into service and calling you into discipleship. But it's really tough for you to do that unless you understand costly grace. To understand costly grace, verse 49. John, he says, shall we get him? He's, 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 he's driving out demons in, in your name. You gotta ask yourself a question. Why would he be upset about that? Unless he wanted the credit. You're not part of our group. Are you there? So, <laughs> by the way, uh, if you, if he's, he mentions demons, and I just want you to know that, yes, I do believe that there are demons. It's kind of amazing to me how folks can believe that there are demons that don't believe there's a God. Is that crazy? That's crazy. But yeah, I do believe there are demons. And, 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 and yes, I do believe people need to have all, all unnatural attachments and all enslavement of the soul. Yeah, it's caused by demonic presence. And, and, and you know, to the degree that he's Lord is to the degree that you're free. To the degree that he's not Lord is, is to the degree that demonic influence has sway over our lives. Whether that be fear, whether that be want, whether that be selfishness, whether that be enslavement to things that, that trap the soul, whether it's, I forget the name of it, substance abuse, anything. By the way, I don't know about you guys, but has there, is there a new epidemic of smoking weed around the nation? Yeah, 
out. I got on the elevator yesterday. Yesterday. I got on the elevator yesterday. And, you know, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm doing fine. I'm go, going down to my car. Somebody gets on the elevator, you know, with me. Oh, my God. And then I get to my destination. I get to the hospital. I go to the emergency room. The same thing. Same smell, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Raise your hand if you ever smoked dope. Don't, don't worry. I have, turn the cameras off. If you ever smoked dope in your life, raise your hands if you ever smoked dope in your life. Raise your hand. He told Willie Palmer to raise his hand. <laughs> Willie said, hey, no. Raise your hand and look around. Look at that. I want you to look. I, I want you to. Man, I don't know what's, what's going on. Would y'all help me? But I do remember, you know, and, and, and in case, by the way, in case you all think, well, my wife and I, we were in college and, and we didn't know. Somebody said, hey, you want to hit? I said, a hit or what? Don't hit me. No, 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 no. And I said, what do you do? I was dumb. I didn't know. And so they had rolled this joint. And 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 uh and give it and give it to, gave it to us. I said I I said I, I don't smoke and I I didn't smoke because I tried cigarettes. I tried to sneak my mama's cigarettes and smoke them and about kill me. I took one puff. <laughs> my lungs rebelled. Amen. And I said, Oh no, that's crazy. And so so I did, I did I didn't smoke. But they said take this and I took. I said what is it? He said, he said just 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 suck it in. Are you on live stream? Are you watching me? So I, I went, and this, this smoke went into my lungs. Well, I thought I was going to go, but I didn't. It didn't do nothing. I said, oh, okay. I said, kind of stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, so they, all night, because I want to be in the crowd, so we, we're taking this, smoking this blunt. And, and so about 30 minutes later, Johnny, about 30 minutes later, uh, we were watching. We were watching the band play. You know, it was a jazz concert. Yusef Latif. You never. I know you will never forget, baby. Yusef. He was down. He was playing, and he had three horns connected together. He was playing the three horns. You know, Ooh, saxophones. He was playing, and all of a sudden, my eyes came open, <laughs> and I saw the notes coming out of the. And the, wait, this was crazy. The notes came out of the instrument, went into the audience, and got a hold of the people. And the people <laughs> were moving to the notes. I said, what is this foolishness here? Man. So I don't, I don't know what's, what's going on, but it used to be if you got caught with a little bit of that, you're going to jail. So now that they have legalized it, it's kind of amazing. It's like uh, some kind of epidemic is going on. How many of you all got delivered? I mean, when I say delivered, it, was, it no longer had a hold on your soul. So you didn't have to face your day. Some people can't face their day until they take a hit. And now they're talking about medicinal purpose. How many of you got saved and healed and you don't need it for medicinal purpose or any other purpose? Raise your hand if you got healed. I hope those same hands. I'm not closing my eyes. I'm hoping them same hands come up. Lord. You remember, remember? We remember, right? Man, it's amazing to me. When when you serve the king of kings and you understand his grace and you come in contact with his grace, a mighty change happens to you. The things that were, your soul was enslaved to, let go. The things that had sway over your life and your decisions, let go. When you come into the presence of Jesus, I'm going to tell you why. Check this out. Because costly grace is prerequisite to the other two. Why does John want to shut them down? 
Because he said they're not of us. Jesus said, if he's not against us, he's for us. Look at verse 54. Lord, do you want us to call fire down on them? Who is he talking to? They keep going, and they're going from Samaria to Jerusalem. So they come, they, they, they're leaving to Jerusalem, but they got to go through Samaria. And the Samaritans, who are actually, they were the, considered the half-breeds. They were a mixture of Jews and everything else. They, they, they go there and they need lodging. It's right there in the scripture. They need some place to sleep. And they say, no, we don't want you here. Now they say this to Jesus. This is the one that's been healing the sick, raising the dead. This is the one who's been performing mighty miracles. And he comes with the 12 and they, they diss him big time. And the disciples are indignant. So what do they do? Look at verse 54. He said, let's, Lord, you want me to get them? You, <laughs> <are you? laughs> James and John said, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, why would, why would they say that? Jesus, and don't, we won't go to what Jesus said yet, but check this out. Because I, I missed this the first 10 or 12 times I read this. Lord, you want us to call fire down? They're not going to, they, they won't let us check in. And by the way, if this would have been Alabama 40, 50 years ago and you needed uh, uh, some place to stay and, and, and the innkeepers looked at your skin color and said, we, we don't serve your kind, your kind there. Are you there? That's what we're getting here. Because that's what they're saying. And the Bible says, because they were going from Samaria to Jerusalem. In other words, the fact that you would even go there must mean you're one of them and you can't stay here. And they are, has anybody ever been marginalized? Has anybody went to get service that you know was rightly due to everybody and you're willing to pay for the service, but they deny you service? I'm sorry, are you breathing? Am I, have I got you there? Nobody here has ever experienced prejudice? Raise your hand if you've ever been pre treated prejudicially, negatively. Check, check that out. What does it make you feel like? What does it make you feel like when, you, you know, you, you can pay, you have a right, and they say no. The disciples said, Lord, you want me to call fire down on them? They are upset. Give me a few seconds. I'll wind this up. Check it out. So when they come, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord, he looks at them. And <laughs> you, I, I think you should consider, why would they say that in that setting? Hmm. It might be because in chapter 9, you see this thing called the transfiguration. In Luke 9, Jesus uh, calls three, Peter, James, and John. He, he takes them away from the rest of the 12. He takes it, come, come here, guys, I, I need to talk with you. And, and they follow Jesus a, a distance away from the, from the rest. The nine are still there. And, and the Bible says right there, right there before them, Jesus transfigured. In other words, the glory of God came out. Anybody see the movie Cocoon? You remember those, the, the aliens had on human body suits? So when they took the human body suit, they were light? I'm sorry. Sorry about you guys. I'll try to leave you off. Jesus transfigures, and he begins to show them who he really is. And the light is so bright, and the glory is so incredibly glorious, they don't know what to do. They're down looking, oh, my God. And then the Bible says Elijah and Moses show up. Woo. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know if I'd have been there. I don't know what I'd have been doing. I, you know, in and, 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 and many movies, when, when, uh, when, when, when you, you get an epiphany, a, a, a visitation, or when something, a phenomenon happens, some folk just run. I probably would have been one of them ones running. <laughs> you know, Cedric, you know, <laughs> it is so amazing they don't know what to do but Elijah 
and Moses show up, and guess what? Both Elijah and Moses are familiar with heavenly fire. Heavenly fire is part of their life. When Moses brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, the fire from heaven, pow, it, it hits the ground. It forms a huge pillar, and it leads them in the night. He's used to fire. The, when, when, when it came time for the demonstration of the glory of God, Moses, he, he wanted to show Pharaoh who God really is. The Bible says there was a raining from heaven, a fire and brimstone rained down on the land, burned up the crops, killed the cattle. It was amazing. Moses and, and Elijah were familiar with fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Y'all calm now. But I promise you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, if the fire from heaven struck right here, some of y'all be under the seats. What about Elijah? Huh. It is amazing that Elijah, Elijah is, is hated by King Ahab. He sends 50 soldiers. He sends 50 soldiers after Elijah. They said, man of God, come down. We're taking you to the king. 50 men. Elijah comes out and he says, if I am a prophet of God, may the fire from heaven come down on you right now. And bam! And 50 guys got burned up right then. Now, saints, I don't know what was wrong with Elijah, but that man sent another 50 after them. I'm sorry y'all don't read the scripture. You should y'all could go to the movies like I do. I mean, it is something incredible. No, really, I'm serious. The, the Bible's really clear about it. In fact, it's 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So he again sent him another captain of 50 with his 50, and he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king. Come down quickly. So Elijah replied to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And the fire came down, killed him, swept up, licked up the other 50. I believe Jesus' disciples, when they read that, said, Yeah. Jesus replied to them and he said, the Bible says, it's a really strong word in the original, he rebuked them. He didn't use profanity. But he said, it's like, it's like you're talking and Jesus would just say, just shut up. Just shut up. Why would Jesus rebuke them? By the way, if, if, if the prophet of God, if the judgment on those men came by, by disrespecting and rejecting the man of God, how much more should the fire of heaven come from those who reject the son of God? You ain't gonna let us stay in your town? You don't have no idea, you have no idea what you do. But Jesus said, shut up. I, I wonder why he said shut up. Why he said, why he rebuked them because of their lack of generosity. In Luke chapter 12, verse 49 through 50, I've come to bring fire. Jesus said this. This is the words of Jesus. I have come. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and now I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is complete. In the original language, when you wanted to stress something emphatically, you would say it twice, a little differently, but you would mean, would mean the same thing. And when you had those two sentences together, it means emphatically, passionately, this needs to happen. Jesus said, I know about fire. I wished is how I wished it would come. He said, I, he, <laughs> he 
speaking of himself, he, I have come to bring fire. His, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already burning. Now I've got to undergo a baptism myself. And how pressed, how distressed I am until it's finished. What baptism is Jesus talking about? Well, as I, as I, as I leave you, it's the baptism of suffering. It's the crucifixion. And when the soldiers came to arrest him, when Peter cut off the soldier's ear, you know that story, right? They come to get Jesus, and Peter's got this sword. He whips it out. Probably tried to take the guy's head off. I can see the guy ducking, and his, his side, the sword comes around. He just takes his ear right off. Jesus said, put your sword up. Then Jesus kneels down, picks the man's ear up, and puts it back on the side of his face. You remember when the Bible speaks about the crucifixion of Jesus and he's on the cross and, and, and they, they, they do every ungodly thing you can do without taking his life. The idea of crucifixion was to leave the man alive as long as you possibly could but make him suffer the most possible without passing out and without dying. And when he's hanging there, the Lord Jesus he says, what does he say? Talk about generosity. Talk about costly grace. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The truth is, when Jesus demonstrates for us this baptism, he's speaking of, of suffering, this fire of judgment, that God the Father is, is, is pouring out on him for our sins, for your sin, for mine. For your rebellion, for my rebellion. For my disobedience, for your disobedience. For your reluctance and your doubting him and doubting his purpose and his love for you. Because of that, he's taking the wrath of God the Father for you. Hmm. He takes the fire of judgment from the Father so we could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For indeed, John even prophesied about it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God that he sends for your life. And that's why it's hard to be a disciple when you are not filled with his presence. That's why it's hard to put other people first because you have not entered into the provision that God has for you and for me. To be filled with his presence, his grace and his glory by his very own spirit to come into your life. This is part of what it means not only to be born again, but to be his disciple. If you had to leave it to yourself to please God with your own effort alone or your own will and drive and desire, you, it's not enough. Jesus understood clearly the problem with his disciples. So God says, okay, I, I know how to convince them. I will be abandoned so they can be accepted. I will be emptied so they can be filled. I will be rejected so they can be completely, absolutely accepted. I will experience their sickness and their pain so they might receive healing and peace. Don't forget what the gospel is. It's not just I will prosper you. God will do that. But in order for God to bring that prosperity to your life, he had to become as one who was poor everything stripped, everything taken. 
That's why the Bible says, you know, Christ, you know, he became poor for us that we through his poverty might be made rich. So when Jesus said, um, I don't know. If you're going to bury your, your peoples first, then that means I'm not first and you're not worthy to be my disciple. That's why Jesus said, well, if, you, if your family concerns are above mine, my concern, then you're not worthy for this. Wow. Wow. Because until you are generous, generous and full of, you understand what costly grace is. It cost him. The Bible says his soul became sick. That's what Isaiah 53 said. His soul became sick for us that we might have his peace. Being a disciple is a radical thing. Being a servant is a radical thing. I tell you what is hell on earth, trying to live like a Christian who is not full of his spirit. Let me tell you what's boring. Ah, trying to walk this life like someone who's been changed and you're actually faking it because Jesus hasn't transacted. It's really tough. Tell somebody else? No, you ain't gonna tell nobody else about that. Serve somebody? Oh no, you're not serving nobody. Not for that. 2020 and his marvelous grace has allowed you to make it. It's a miracle you sitting here this morning. And if, you, if those of you understand what I'm saying, you would say amen to that. You should have been gone a long time ago. And many of us would have been dead in our sins without hope. But God who's rich in mercy, it is costly grace. Man. So the Father knows, he knows you. And he knows what it takes to convince you that he didn't lie to you. He knows exactly what you need. And I'm here today to tell you, if you're going to make it in 2020, if you're going to walk into the things of God, you're going to need, you're going to need that grace, that costly, generous whoo, grace on your life. You can't make it without you, Jesus. You're going to need that because if you have that, then God, then God will allow you to be a, a disciple and you're generous because you understand, Lord, what do you want, what do you want me to do? If you just teach me, I, I'll follow you. I'll learn what I need to learn. I'll join with those who, 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 who themselves understand this costly discipleship that I have. You won't isolate yourself from people. You, and you'll be honored that the Lord wants to put you in the 72 to be sent to do what he wants you to do gives you purpose and mission to your life you're a doctor you need the heavenly you need the heavenly commission so your medicine can now serve the kingdom of God are you a clerk you need, you need, you need this costly grace. So as you serve as a clerk, all of a sudden, it's the kingdom of heaven that's come to that place. And your service is so incredibly awesome that it impacts everybody around you. Are you an insurance salesman? If you are a disciple, if you've been sent, if you're in the 72, if you know what that grace means, then every time you sell a product, somebody's grateful and not ripped off. Lord help. Everything in your life only takes shape and form that pleases God when you, when you receive, open up your heart and, and receive God's incredible generosity, his grace over you. And instead of judging you, promotes you.
God, you say, Lord, I will. I'll follow. I'll follow. I want you to fill me with your, stand on your feet. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to help me, Lord. Because everything around me is adverse to what the bishop is saying today. And I need you, Jesus. I don't want more than religion. I want more than church. I don't want you to have church. I want you to be the church. Tell your neighbor, say, look at him straight in the face and you are the church. That glorious representation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't help you to have a one, a two hour, three hour experience. And nothing else is going on in your life. You need, how many of you say, I want God 24 7. I want God 24 7. And by the way, if there's anything in your life where you don't want God to be, that probably is, an ad, is adverse to you. If there's anything in your life that where you don't want God, then you know that's a sign right there. God needs to help me right there. If I reserve any other place, space, and time in my life where I don't want God involved in it, you can tell, you know right now, it's probably sinful. If at, at best, not helpful. Lift your hands to the Father. I know we got to go. You, you, you're born with me. I, I do appreciate you've stuck with me. But I, I want you, I, I don't want us to miss the moment praying this morning about this. I don't want you to miss the moment. And one of the things I saw is the Holy Spirit who desires to fill your life. He desires to be the difference maker. He desires to be the life of Christ in your life. He wants to be, the Holy Spirit wants to be the wisdom of God down inside you that helps you in your decision making choices he wants to be the rudder the control in your life that that shuts your mouth up when you don't need to say anything and opens up your mouth when you wouldn't otherwise would have been afraid to speak good God Almighty. he wants to be the one he wants to be the judge in your ear that lets you discern what is good and what is evil even showing you the intent of other people. The Holy Spirit who wants to live the life of Christ in your body, in your mind. He wants to be God in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The only way he can do that is for you to invite him in. For you to say, Lord, I need, and for some of us, we need to say it, I need more of you. Some of you have forgotten what that's like for the Holy Spirit to touch your spirit. For the fire of God, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. We used to talk about folks who were on fire. We use that term to talk about those whose faith was alive, whose love was working, whose feet were following Jesus, whose mouth were speaking the gospel, whose deeds were helping other folks. And without his presence, without his Holy Spirit, the way I'm speaking, your life becomes just, you become a caricature trying to play out something that is not really real for you. And yesterday's experience is not enough. Lord, have mercy. What God did in your teens, what God did in your 20s and 30s is not enough for you to live on. In the same way the Lord Jesus said, it's daily bread that gives you life and eternal life. I'm the bread that come down from heaven and he that eats of me has life in himself. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes. It doesn't make you religious, it makes you real. I said he doesn't make you religious, he makes you real. The Holy Spirit comes, he makes you honest. Makes your motives pure. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Checks your desires. 
checks your mouth. Those of you whose language have got away from you now and now you, are, you feel comfortable and, and going over into the other areas of language and, and expressions. Profanity now becomes your friend instead of your enemy. The Holy Spirit needs to come and nothing can tame your tongue but the Holy Spirit. Those of you who want to put people down every moment you get, God is the only one who can tame your tongue. Those of you who your tongue has a taste for alcohol, your, your tongue has a taste for weed, your tongue has a taste for whatever drug, whatever substance, God is the only one who can tame that taste and take it out of your mouth and give you, make you pure and make you whole and make you want him and him alone. He's the one, but you got to ask him. You got to ask him. We've been, we've been fasting for about 20, about 15 days. And, and, and one of the things I want you to do, I want you to turn up the Bunsen burner. I want you to turn up the fire in your life. I want you to ask God to fill you again. Fill you again. Some of you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You heard the gospel, but you've never invited the Holy Spirit to come into your life and change me. That's what that's, that's what that's what 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 man's what man's uh, uh, wife Latoya what's her name Tamala Tamala man in, in their album she 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 she, she drug an old song back from the Hawkins day and she said change me Lord change me that's exactly what God wants to do and you're gonna have to have, be honest enough to admit that you know what I'm like that guy that said well Lord. I really do want to follow you. But if you just let me go and bury, take care of my, my personal business, I'll be okay. Oh, Lord, if you want to just let me say goodbye to my family, I'll, I'll be cool. You're like that. In your faith. And the Lord said, no, I want all of you. And I want you first. And if you make, listen, talk to your neighbor. Do this for me because it's hard for them to receive it from me. So you, maybe they'll receive it from you. Tell your neighbor, said, if you put God first, God will then put your family first. But not until he's first. Clap your hands and give me praise right there where you stand. Yeah, oh, it's, it, oh, it's tight, baby, but it's right. It's tight. Take the hand of somebody. I got to close this out. I, I, want, I want to give the, the Lord, I want you to give the Lord an opportunity to answer his prayer. But some of you have never experienced that. You've never known that. Some of you are more familiar with the fire of judgment. Get them, God. Get them. Than you are with the grace and the mercy and the generosity of God when God offers you the Holy Spirit and the fire that changes you, that lights you, that lights your candle. Fills you up. Some of you haven't cried. You know, crying is not the purpose. But some of you have not wept in ages because you've not let God touch your soul. And one reason why people don't weep is because they have no more passion. The Holy Spirit and fire, one of the ways to describe that is passion. When, God, when he touches you and when he's there with your life, it's so precious. You want to live there. You want to keep stoking that fire. Lift those hands to the Father. And in these days that we're fasting and praying, we're asking God to break, to break forth in us. To come and shower us with your presence, Lord. The disciples were with you, but, they, but you weren't in them. And so they were foolish in their words. And I'm asking you, Father, that the promise that you promised the disciples and that you promised us would come to us. Lift your hands straight to the Lord and, and begin to talk to God right there. Father, we need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We need.